1887, the University of Michigan taught Notre Dame how to play football. This has a lot of people very angry and has been widely regarded as a bad move. So we have U of M to blame for this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and by the way, tip of the cat to Alejandro Zuniga. Do you think I pronounced that right? That's the last name. I hope so. <laughs> I'm sorry if I butchered that, but if you found that funny, please follow him on Twitter. But on the show, we have Michigan takes down the top 10 ranked Notre Dame. Uh, State falls in the land land grant trophy game. That's right. Easy for me to say. You <laughs> went to Midnight Madness on Friday. I did. We have action all across the Big Ten and the rest of college football. And to quote Rolling Stone editor Christian Horde, Who's got it wetter than us? Nobody. Nobody. Just remember, five comes before the fall. start out with the positives for Michigan State, and it will be brief. The positives were I was at the game with my two brothers. We got drunk in the parking lot, and no, everybody left at halftime, so we were able to move up to the front row, uh, high-five Brian Lewerke, and my brother got to tell Bocce that Bocce is his kid's favorite player, and Bocce <laughs> gave him the peace sign. And according to Mark D'Antonio, we're 4-4 four and four and not 2-7, and seven, so there's that. I and saw the okay. positives end there. <laughs> what was that in regard to? I don't know. I thought I thought I thought maybe it was a reporter's question, like, "Hey, you could be two and seven or No, I'm I'm pretty sure he brought that up himself. Like, oh, one way to look at it is we could be two and seven. I don't know if that's a shot at our rival Rutgers or something like uh, that. But <laughs> you, Michigan State's also only played eight games, so that part Right, so that would be pretty difficult to be two and seven after Is Purdue two and seven or something or Northwestern? I was hoping you could explain that to me. Uh, I can't really explain much of what Mark D'Antonio is doing these days or last few years, really. But yeah, unless you were me and you were at the game uh, wasted and in the front row right behind Michigan State's bench, (laughs) there weren't a lot of positives to take away from Saturday's game. 28 to 7. You lose the greatest trophy in sports for the first time in three years. (laughs) Shame. They said on the broadcast that weighs 70 pounds. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> I don't know if it's solid wood or if there's any hollowness inside there. Didn't you say one of Michigan State's uh, players has uh, broken it in the past? Raekwon Williams accidentally broke it last year in the Penn State locker room. But I, I said it two weeks ago after Michigan State's last game that the end has already come. The end's not even near. It's... It's here, and if you don't see it, then I don't know what you're looking at because it's not just the last three games where they've shown no sign of life outside of two drives against Ohio State on offense or defense. It's the last three and a half years. It's been a steady free fall, and it hasn't just been on the field. It's been off. It's been a lack of recruiting. It's been a lack of coaching changes, sometimes even – bringing in one new voice can make a big difference. And the people Mark D'Antonio trusts 
are not getting the job done. Mike Tressel is not a good defensive coordinator right now, and he's the associate head coach. So if they let Mark D'Antonio pick his successor, that's who it's going to be, and I don't like that one bit. Do you think they should have got rid of Tressel and um, Warner and maybe kept the rest of the staff and just like plug in two new assistants? Do you think that would have been enough for this year? Well, they couldn't have fired – Tressel last year because the defense was actually oh, okay. really good. I thought maybe schematically they were underachieving in a way. I thought no. maybe that's what you meant. Um, this year they've shown a, a general lack of ability to adapt to the other opponent's game plan. And then on the offensive side, yeah, it, it is better than last year, but it was pretty much impossible to get any worse than the 2018 Michigan State Spartans offense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, coming in, I, I went back and listen, I was just listening a little bit to our earlier podcast, and it was kind of funny, you know, seven, eight weeks removed from that now. And we were talking about this being at least a top 10 defense, maybe better. Yeah, I. not a lot of people expected it to fall much, and I'll, give, I'll cut them some slack because they have not gotten a lot of help from the offense outside of, the Indiana game where the offense actually won it for them. And, you know, there's a lack of depth. Again, that's recruiting. And I don't know. I think a lot of players on that team are just mentally and physically broken by the workload and the schedule. And I, it did set up, unfortunately, for them that it was these three games right in a row. If, if there's a Rutgers in between Ohio State and Wisconsin and then a Maryland in between – Wisconsin and Penn State, maybe they look differently. But that's how it is. And they've looked sad and uninspiring against three top ten teams. I was curious. I thought they matched up better against uh, Penn State than they did Wisconsin and Ohio State. And I was also wondering how the bye week would factor in. and it. Just, I was wondering that as well. And it felt like it was 28-7, to 7, but it felt like the – it felt worse watching that game. Yeah, and Penn State got out to a lead early. And with the weather, which I'm not blaming anything on the weather, I'm just saying when Penn State got out to that lead, everybody kind of knew there's no way Michigan State was going to come back. If Michigan State was going to win, they needed to pounce the on them early. Yeah. I, I kind of feel the same way about my boys in Ann Arbor. Uh getting the lead early is what I yeah. remember. But uh, Franklin, we've kind of <laughs> – actually, this game was weird because he was smart. Once he got the lead, he did go conservative. And in this type of game, that's smart. You know, I've been critical of him before. Mm-hmm. But uh, just to kind of – some of my notes while I was t- watching the game. He was and, still, like, running plays with two minutes left. In the fourth quarter, up by a lot, Clifford's throwing a couple balls. A couple of them were to no one. Yep. He, uh, Penn State kept – throwing the ball instead of running the clock out. And Matt Charbonneau of the Detroit News had a tweet that mirrored my feelings. He said, hey, Penn State, run the ball. And this is like with six minutes left. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> it was weird. The thing about the coaches in the Big Ten East is that they're a bunch of petty SOBs, <laughs> and they don't forget stuff easily. Mark D'Antonio will not forget any slight that Michigan has done to him. Michigan, when they blew out Penn State in 2018, they're all – mocking the celebrations of Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley. They don't forget that. James Franklin and his staff, they're still PO'd that Michigan State scored a touchdown running their center 
to put 55 on them in 2015. And Harbaugh has a history, whether it's at San Francisco or Stanford, you know. He, right. Yeah, I know you brought him up against Penn State. And then Franklin, you know, Franklin right. and Antonio, you're, it's not just against one team either. No, it's, it's, it's multiple, yeah. And Urban Meyer wasn't much better drinking milk during a press conference after. <laughs> <laughs> no, and Urban Meyer was very petty too, the whole, I'm not even going to say the M word, or I'm not going to use this. Letter of the alphabet, even though my last name okay. starts with it. Like, yeah, I, I, I will give him a slight pass for that. It's stupid, but it's kind of like the college yeah. experience. The milk thing was definitely personal. And I'm not even saying I'm mad at that. I definitely got a chuckle, but that is a bit yeah. more petty. Well, look, it's getting worse week to week. And it started with the Arizona State game in week three for Michigan State. And I'm, I apologize for my voice. Uh, we didn't. We did not book Tom Izzo on the show as a guest. It's just me dealing with the repercussions of uh, screaming for almost the full game. I think I think we left with like two minutes left, but I think that counts with that type of. I I think I changed the channel with five minutes left. Yeah, and actually, like we were, like I said, right behind the Michigan State bench, so we we were standing and having the time of our lives. Like we were trying to pump people up, and one of the MSU like. Uh, like officials or whatever came up to our row, the front row. And they're like, you guys need to sit down. People in the back can't see. We're like, are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> you should be thankful we're here. Yeah. Like, we're still here. You should be paying us for this. Yeah. It's like, I'll escort you back to the, your original seats, which were, you know, row 45, section 17. It's like, dude, what's who's to say these aren't our real seats. Like, Go eat a fat one, you know. <laughs> that really, like, that really pissed me off a lot. But I got some stats and key plays if you want. Yeah. Uh, State has scored ten points in the last fifteen quarters. I saw tweeted out. Does that yeah, they out? went four halves without scoring a single point. Wow. Last half against Ohio State, uh, the game against Wisconsin, and um, first half against Penn State. And the <clears throat> this can't be right. Maybe in the first four games, Coughlin was four from ten, four of ten from field goal, and then four for four the last two games coming in. I, I think that's a typo. I think the first two games he was like seven for seven or something. Okay, like maybe that. a four game streak. He was four for ten. Yeah, then he went zero for three against Arizona State. I think he went one for two against uh, Northwestern. I think it was two for three against. Indiana, and then one for two at Ohio State. Either way, I definitely had a typo, so I screwed up whatever stat. No and then he had a field goal block. Was that the first half, I want to say? That was right before halftime. Terrible protection on that play. That was not his fault. That was nope. really bad. It, it, the, the the Penn State player almost got through without being and you, Even if he did get perfect protection, that would be a difficult one to make in, in that weather. Yeah, yeah. wasn't his fault, though. It was definitely- no. Again, that goes back to recruiting. They and the fact that uh, Jim Bullman is still on the staff and has been the offensive line coach from you know 2000. Well, he's the offensive line coach now. Actually, that's on Mark Staten for being a bad offensive line coach, but he's still on the staff. Him and Bullman just switched jobs, which makes no sense. The linemen, too, and almost it was like an execution problem in that. Not that they didn't see the Penn State player. It was almost like they didn't know what their assignment was, who to block. Yeah, and that seems to be a theme with Michigan State position groups, not knowing their assignments, the schemes. And, uh, you know, Lewerke, he was right under 500. He was 16 for 34. 
He had uh, 165 yards, an interception. He lost a fumble. That interception was weird. He threw as he was being sacked. The ball bounces off of Michigan State off its alignment, and Penn State catches the ball. It was weird. It was weird, and I don't know why he was out there. He had a, a 49-yard pass to Cody White to set up a touchdown for um, Anthony Williams, his first career touchdown, which was fun to see. Uh, that was that was right when we were behind the bench. Um, I'm not, did I already mention I, I got the high-five of Lurky? That was pretty cool. <laughs> I might have amazing. already mentioned that, but if not, I want to bring it up again because <laughs> – it was cool. Uh, he's been fun to watch in his time, and I'm really going to miss him next year. But Hemler had a had a lot of targets, and he made some plays, but he didn't go off. No, he had one punt return for a touchdown that was called back. Yep, yep. But he had, I think he had one against Michigan the week before. Yeah, he had a kickoff was, return for a touchdown that, that was, was called, called back. back. Yeah, um, I mean it's basically impossible to return a kick with like anytime somebody's returned a kickoff for a touchdown. There was a penalty. It's just a matter of if it was called or not. Especially in college. Yeah. Uh, uh, Penn State uh, receiver Friermuth. Friermuth? Uh, Pat Friermuth. He had a big game. He was probably their offensive player of the game. Probably, yeah. Um, what were his stats? I got them right here. He had like more as as many catches for like more yards than Hemler did. Uh Am I saying yeah. his name right? Hamler. Hamler. Uh, and like yeah, Friar Muth had three receiving touchdowns. Um, but yeah, they, they actually had the same amount of catches. They both had five. And like half the targets for Friar Muth. Friar Muth. Yeah. <clears throat> but look, I'll just get right to it. Um, I said last week that I would be okay with D'Antonio coaching out 2020 and then retiring. But honestly... I think that'll be a lost year if he does. If I was Michigan State's athletic director, in private, I'm telling him he's done after this season and he doesn't get a say in who's getting the job next. You know, he might get an influence, like, but we're not going to go with somebody just to make him happy. You know, but I mean, we're not going to pick Rich Rod to piss off Lloyd Carr. But <laughs> that's me. If I'm the Michigan State athletic director this week, I'm saying thank you for everything. It's been great. I understand it's difficult to be a great head coach at a, for a long time at the same school. Even Urban Meyer has shifted between, what is it, four different schools now, three major ones. Three Utah. majors. Uh, unless you're out Nick Saban at Alabama, in this day and age, it's difficult to be a consistently great head coach for a long time at the same school. Saban and uh, Stoops are probably the only ones Saban in like, the last 20 right. years. And even and Lincoln Riley, Lincoln Riley will put up those numbers because nobody plays defense in the Big Twelve. And, and I don't think he's going won't. anywhere for a while. Exactly. Um, and he's going to get any quarterback he wants. Yeah. But yeah, that's it. Like this, the type of performance Michigan State has been putting out over the last month, really since the Western Michigan game ended. Well, every game outside of the Western Michigan game and the Northwestern game has been a failure on the co- part of the coaches because the players were not prepared for the game. Like Indiana, good offense, poor defense. Yep, Tulsa, yeah. uh, you had eight months. Probably good defense and Amazing defense. Yeah, the, that eight and the Indiana and, game are like the opposites. Yeah. Like Western Michigan and Northwestern were the only two games where I felt the team was absolutely prepared to play in those games, and it showed. But these types of performances outside of those two games, those wouldn't be acceptable by a first-year head coach. They wouldn't be acceptable if you had a freshman quarterback. This is a 
coach in his 13th year. He's the best coach in school history, bar none. And he's got a senior quarterback and a defense just laden with seniors and juniors. And this is the product that we're seeing. There was a tweet from Dave Harns, and I think it kind of goes with what you just said. He's a writer from the Only Colors. Mm-hmm. Um, he tweeted, my son, who came of age during this last decade of MSU football awesomeness, said today, at least basketball season is here. Now he knows how I felt when I, when I was his age. It was because of D'Antonio that we had this decade. It is also because of him that we are where we are. Yeah, I saw that tweet, and that perfectly encompasses it. And I do remember growing up and either being like, well, basketball season will be here soon, or at least it's basketball season now. And, yeah, it was a great run. It really was. I don't take that for granted. Between 2010 and 2015 especially, you had one yeah. kind of and year, and then you had like three or four that were really. In that span, he had three seasons where they went 11-1 and one in the regular season. Not, that's, that's extremely difficult to do. Three seasons where they either won the Big Ten or a share of it. Yep. Uh, another Rose one. Bowl. Another one where they got to the Big Ten championship game. And then even if you want to include the 2008 and the 2017 season like as nice bookends, because 2008 was a nine-win season, which was – Their first in a while? First since 1999, Saban's last year. And let me tell you, like that 99 team had a lot more talent than that 2008 yeah. <laughs> team did. Like that oh, – no, that 99 team had Plaxico Burris and TJ Duckett, Cedric Irvin, I believe, and Bill Burr. NFL players. Lots yeah, of them. Yeah, long-time NFL players. And, oh, wait, you know, it was, it was a nice team, but they had Brian Hoyer, who is actually Still a long-time NFL, NFL player. Yeah. But Javon Ringer and um, you know, I, Blair White. And Confidence Hunting, I and Dan Hillio went a lot higher after that. Yes, and 2009 and it, was kind of the reason. The reason they went to 2009, I remember this. Six, but, six and seven. Yeah, they had high expectations, though. Yeah. It was a bit of a down year. But the fact that they had gone nine and three the year, or nine and four with the bowl game a year before, like, no, but as it far was, as I can remember, there wasn't too much panic after 09. No, no, it was like a disappointment. And it actually looked like it was going to be worse. They, yeah. They had the central loss, which was like big. Yeah. Right. They started one and three after that central and loss. And then they kind of went. They finished pretty good. You kind of felt like that year, Michigan went five and seven. Like whoever won the game that year was yep. gonna be like, um, and that was a team with a, a sophomore first year starting quarterback and Kirk Cousins. Yeah, again, senior quarterback this year, and whoever's gonna be quarterback next year, I really hope it's not somebody on this roster currently. Tony Paul of the Detroit News had a really good tweet, and I wish I would have brought it up a little bit earlier. It kind of tied into what we were talking. <laughs> but he's uh, he's snarky like me, so I like him. Uh, and actually a Michigan State alum. So, But he says, so is week eight too soon in question Mark D'Antonio's inexplicable decision to keep his coaching staff? <laughs> that got quite a chuckle out of me. But I want to ask a question. Um, well, first uh, – Antoine Simmons, who's a linebacker for State, made a comment, and he kind of answers my question. So, but I'll give his answer first. I, I know what what quote it is, but I'm, I, I think it's. I'm not, I wasn't going to directly quote him, but he made comments because someone asked uh, him what the play for, and he said he was talking about playing for respect, dignity, the name on the front. Of course, he means Michigan State by that. And the reason I bring this up is because I have a question, and I don't know if everyone 
on that team feels the same way he does. But I really was questioning yesterday if the team has quit and uh, or the majority of the players have quit. And what do you think? Because I kind of I think they're very disheartened. There were a lot of players that I didn't see on the field the second half. But I was, like I said, I was right behind the, the bench for the entire second half. And that team was really trying to get everybody in the game. Like they were turning to the crowd and they were doing the pump up. And they were really interacting well with each other. I didn't see too many people looking down and, you know, kind of being in the dumps. When I did, it was it was players on the offense. And so I don't know if they've quit. But I can say spirits are definitely not high, but it's not for a lack of trying. A couple of weeks ago, I kind of felt like you had kind of written this team off a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yesterday, I, I'm i there now. I and, think, and look, this team could very well win three out of the next four, maybe even four out of the next four. Nobody knows. But everybody's going to remember this stretch and the Arizona State game. Maybe we, maybe we would be looking at this differently if they didn't choke against Arizona State. But we're not dealing in hypotheticals. Right. If we were, we'd be pretty good at it, but we're not. And then we'll, we'll probably talk about this more in the coming weeks, but Chris Fowler during the Michigan game was talking about U of M's upcoming opponent. The only spice to your bear against the Spartans who are struggling big time on offense. How they're going to score this Michigan defense, they got no idea. And he brought up State and their struggles on offense. And he said, you have to wonder how State will be able to score on this Michigan defense. I don't think they're as bad as they've looked lately. And I don't think Michigan's defense is quite what Ohio State's or Wisconsin's or Penn State's is. Well, maybe Penn State's. Like I think Michigan and Penn State defense are around the same. But I don't know. That's what, three weeks away now? Yeah, November 16th. Um, yeah. And we're going to get more into it more well. on the other side. Right now, the top three D's defenses, and this is one formula's opinion, Ohio State 1, Michigan 2, and Wisconsin 3. Interesting. But, but we can break that down more on the other side. Feels like Brian Kelly has had some ebbs and flows here, and I wonder how important this season is internally at Notre Dame for Brian Kelly's success. And what does success mean? I know what success means for Michigan. You got to, you got to beat these other schools. Like you got to beat Ohio state. You got to beat Michigan state. You, you gotta, you know, you gotta win the big 10. That feels like that's the continuing process. That's where he's got to continue to climb here. Like that's the next goal. And if you don't get that, it's not like I, I, I view it as he's on the hot seat. I think Brian Kelly could be on a warm seat if you would somehow end up with eight wins, nine, you're not playing in a big bowl game. We uh, start to hear the whispers here. But I don't, I think with Jim Harbaugh, the, nationally, everybody's going, you know, okay, great. And he is, and, you know, he doesn't lose. You know, everywhere he's gone, he's been a winner, he's a great coach. He hasn't been a great coach at Michigan. He's made Michigan relevant, and I wouldn't bet against him because I think he's one of the great coaches we have, and not just college coaches. But you got to beat Ohio State. What this job comes down to, because if you beat Ohio State, then you can beat anybody. 
And that's what we're waiting, I think, for uh, for Jim Harbaugh. Well, it's a good thing that Twitter doesn't make the decisions for uh, Michigan athletics because Harbaugh would have been fired last week, uh, Joe. Probably would have been fired if, after the couple Ohio State weeks game ago. last year. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it was a very rainy day in Ann Arbor. Uh, started the game. Notre Dame comes out. They pick up a first down. Their tight end, who's a good player, has a nice catch. This ended up being one of Notre Dame's best plays of the game. <laughs> the U of M defense recovered nicely, and they had a really good game. But they mixed in some zone throughout the game, and they mixed in some zone on third down. Notre Dame kicks. And, and by the way, Don Brown... Fans have been clamoring for Don Brown to mix in more zone, and that always go straight up man-to-man just because it makes the defense predictable. And, look, he really recruits players for his system. Michigan consistently has good rushers, so it makes sense for that system to be used, but people are just going to be doing crossing routes over and over again if you stick to -to man-to-man. And, like, last week when we have a safety on uh, Penn State's fastest player, that's not a good look. No. Anyway, Nordain kicks it, and you could make a case for running into the kicker, but Michigan gets roughing the kicker, which was a stupid call. You know, it was was a little bit of a flop job, but the Nordain kicker is doing his job. He went to the Wisconsin School of uh, Punting for Actors. (laughs) <laughs> that's a very prestigious school, by the way. It is <laughs> difficult to get into. But it was a very soft call. But instant karma kicks in. Notre Dame on the next two plays has a fumble and a false start. U of M gets the ball. And uh, keep in mind, they've already allowed Notre Dame one first down. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shea underthrows his receiver on third and four on this uh, drive. Michigan has to kick. And at this point, you're feeling like, this is going to be a struggle. You know, with this weather, it's going to be hard to pass. Shea underthrew his uh, receiver. At this point, you don't know Michigan's defense is going to have a dominant dominant performance. It feels like it's going to be a tight game. Um, There's a high snap on the punt. Uh, And uh, U of M, the kicker kicks it. I think it might have been partially blocked. But it's a very weird, wild play because the ball goes 20 yards downfield, hits a Notre Dame player, and Michigan recovers. Hmm. <laughs> right, so you, uh, so uh, Michigan uh, takes it down the field. Uh, they're at the two. Again, another fumble because the ball is so wet. I'm not right, even totally so blamed. It's difficult it, to stand in that way. It's a loss of two. Michigan's now at the four, and they kick a field goal, and you kind of feel like that fumble and loss of two yards was the difference between a touchdown and a field goal at that point. Yeah. Uh, Notre Dame gets the ball back, and Michigan, their best defensive performance of the year, they're just attacking the line. Uh the defense looks awesome. McGrone, Glasgow, and Hutchigan are making their presence known. And with 13 minutes to go in the second quarter, Michigan ha- is up 10 nothing. They're averaging 6.8 yards per carry. Notre Dame, nine rushes for 10 yards, 1.1 yards per carry. I know you said you didn't see the whole game because you were coming back from yeah, East Lansing. So what are your uh, impressions after like the first quarter from what you saw? Um, 
I thought it was going to be like a low scoring game, probably something like in the 24 to 13 range, something around there. Yeah, I might have even gone even lower. It was weird because when the betting lines came out, some people had Michigan as six and a half point favorites. Other had Notre Dame as six and a half favorites. I think both of them came down and you had some of the major services, U of M as one point favorites. And I think the other one had like the Irish as two point favorites. Yeah. It was really weird. I, and I, I would say most people expected a close game and low scoring, yeah. especially when you saw the weather. Yeah, that's definitely what I expected. And um, not knowing too much about Notre Dame, I, I thought U of M had the edge with the way they performed against Penn State at the end and the fact that it was a bit of a homecoming game and a last hoorah against a rival team. I would not be surprised if they're back on the schedule in a couple years, though. Yeah. But but that might be a conversation for another day. Did you see uh, U of M Athletics uh, Twitter, their tweet <laughs> yeah, that I they saw put it. out? Uh, <laughs> that was pretty funny. I, I don't have it in front of me, but uh, it, basically it said, went viral. Yeah. If you want to sum it up, that's... Basically, they just said, look, Notre Dame, it's been fun, but let's take a break for the next, what is it, 14 years yeah. or something like that. Thanks for not being defensive. Yeah. We know you want your independence. Yeah. Like if you're still independent, then, you know, you know where to find I it. I love how all these brands now, whether it's sports, you know, with Michigan or or people running for office or Wendy's, like they just Wendy's have these snarky, one, yeah. like, you know, it's not ran by the owner or CEO so, or yeah. the actual politician. Hillary it's, Clinton's not on Twitter giving shade. It's, it's some <laughs> Chad behind a, an iPhone. Yeah, it's some millennial intern. Or <laughs> right. How do you get one of those jobs? I, probably with the degrees we have would be perfect. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh, Haskins had a very good game. Around this point, early in the second quarter, he nearly jumps over a guy. Um, One thing, I've been progressively more impressed with the offense as the season's gone on. But one thing that was different with the running game tonight is there was a physicality for it. And there were several times where Michigan – back gets hit once or twice and he doesn't mm-hmm. go down even as you can tell they're like trying to keep their footing and they're slipping and sliding they knew that Notre Dame's defense had to play in the same weather and they took advantage of that I, I will hit on Patterson a couple more times because there were some key plays but overall he had a mostly good game considering the weather conditions uh, six for 12 100 yards two TDs uh, after the two early well, one, just one. Uh, the early fumble. Yeah, 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 yeah. And like I said, there's a couple other plays that weren't great, but he kind of recovered nicely, and he had some nice running plays too. Uh, he had a nice keep uh, for over 25 yards, taking it down to two. Later, Michigan scored. At that point, it's 17 nothing. And you see some tweets and other social media on Facebook pointing out some stats and how Michigan's been this first half and the last half of the Penn State game. Yeah. And all of October, I think I've been saying on here, and especially last week, I think that's where you really saw my optimism come in. Because two weeks before that, I kind of chalked Notre Dame and Penn State both up to losses, um, even as I saw the improvements. But at this point, uh, I feel like U of M is finding their groove. They They had that rough start at Penn State. 
couple games before that they hadn't put together for all 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. At this point, I don't know that they are, but they end up doing it. But uh, they more than made up for it against Penn State in the second half. They built on it. Uh, Michigan at this point had been on a 38-7 to run uh, dating back to that point. Obviously, if you include the whole game, it's 66-21 to now. Um, the defense has never looked as bad as the offense this year, but there was definitely room for improvement. The players vocalized how disappointed they were with their performance against uh, the Badgers and Madison. Yeah. And uh, and early in this, like all of September, you heard me We're talking about, about how soft they were defensive tackle. Michael Dornfors return has really solidified them there. And last night was the first time I've seen Michigan put together for all 60 minutes. Yeah. I, I do think it's the best game of the Harbaugh era to this point. I oh, okay. think that's a pretty easy. I, I, uh, I would put it up there. Someone else said that, and I want to see how Notre Dame finishes. Okay, no, that's fair. Like, there's not. I, many... I know they beat that Penn State team forty-nine to ten, but the way that Penn State team was playing at that time, like you know, they lost to Pitt two weeks earlier, and that Pitt team wasn't. That Wisconsin game that same year, though, is one that I would probably yeah. That Wisconsin game was, and Colorado would be up in the three or four because that Colorado team finished ten and two, played for the Pac twelve championship. Um, I wouldn't necessarily put that Colorado team number one, but top three or four, it's in the mix. I I agree with you about that Penn State team, though. Yeah, the two thousand sixteen was really Harbaugh's best year up to this point, and last year was probably his second. Yeah. But but you aren't the only one that said that. And like I said, just was it? That's, that's uh, what I. That's wasn't probably there a, the main impression I got from just browsing Twitter last night was, uh, and even Charles Davis calling the Lions game today said, I think that's the best Michigan has looked under Jim Harbaugh, which I think is pretty fair. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, um, I I try not to overreact though. Yeah. So as as a Michigan fan, as happy as I was, we've seen Brian Kelly teams kind of fall apart. That's true. Yeah, some years you can kind of tell when you got happy Kelly and then you got purple face Kelly. <laughs> Someone put a, a meme out there. Uh, on the meter, he's leaning closer to purple face Kelly right now. <laughs> they put Jordan's sad face on Brian Kelly, and I said, 10 out of 10 meme just needs a little bit more purple on that face. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the game wasn't without its struggles. I said Patterson had, one or, had a few poor plays. Uh, he throws an ill-advised lateral with his left arm. He switched the ball from his left to his right and just throws it. That's and it's weird. actually behind him, so it's technically a lateral and a free ball. Luckily, it bounced out of bounds for Michigan. Uh, Claypool, got to give him credit. He had two incredible catches. I want to say they were back-to-back. There might have been one play in between them. The second one, though, was negated by a Notre Dame penalty. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you almost feel like you could build a little momentum there because they were having struggle Struggles moving the ball against Michigan. And Claypool is just stepping up. I hope I'm saying his name correctly. Um, But on that drive, Jordan Glasgow, who's who's had his struggles too. uh, Early in the season. uh, Week one, he was good. I think it was week two against Army. Maybe it was against Wisconsin. He had kind of a poor game. He's really rebounded. And he had a key breakup on fourth and two. Uh, Notre Dame's going for it on fourth down, and mm-hmm. you see him. You see him run from the left side to the right side and just break up a pass. The way the camera was position was perfect. Fifteen seconds left in the half. 
Bell has his first catch. I think it's Michigan's only second catch of the game because the first half was definitely pouring a lot more than the second half. And you have the crowd goes wild with chats of chance of Ronnie, Ronnie, Ronnie. And that was a feel good moment because when you have 1% of the fan base, maybe even less, just being really stupid, it's like you want yeah. the you want the the quieter majority to really show their support. And he deserved criticism, but not the way he got it. And you almost want to overcompensate the other side. Right. I was gonna say I probably wouldn't go that far to chant his name like look he did drop the ball and it, it sucks but you know that's you what? know you don't you don't go on twitter and bash somebody but and not all the criticism got publicized you know right. we know the one email but and you i mean you, we know just like the nature of fans quote unquote and they, are, and they feel the need to finger happy yeah. it's one thing if we say something on here we'll never go that far but we're right. not gonna tag a college i mean i'm I probably should have said something about Brandon Sowards being an idiot uh, when we were talking about Michigan State, but I'll just leave it be. He knows, he knows he's an idiot, or he should. And sometimes it's how they own it, too. I remember right. early in the Michigan State-Penn State game, I think uh, Raekwon Williams is drawn off sides, and he raises his hands like, hey, that's on me. I'm sorry. I'm right, sorry. Yeah. You know, and Raekwon Williams also has a lot of equity with a lot of good plays. Yeah. But uh, I, I think a lot of – Michigan fans sometimes feel there's such a big fan base with their football team that they feel like they're paying with such a brush and they feel the need to like, Hey, that's not all of us. Yeah. Um, at the half, Michigan's up 17, nothing. It's Notre Dame's first scoreless half in nearly two years. The last one being against 2017 against Miami. That one was just a slaughter. That was like what? 30 to nothing at half or something. That was the turnover chain of Miami. They still have that thing. It just doesn't get as much shot. Well, their defense not bad. Right. That's a team of chaos. If you follow me when on Twitter, the, yeah. I highlight every week. It's just now everybody or a lot of teams have a turnover something. That's true. And that was like the first year of the turnover. And Manny Diaz is trying to rebuild things down there. At the half, U of M has 189 yards. They're averaging five yards per play. Notre Dame has 52 yards, and they're averaging 1.9 yards per play. So mm-hmm. you – if you you understand why that like breakup on fourth down was so yeah, important and why that that, that uh, negated circus catch was such a big deal because Notre Dame's looking for anything at this point. U of M, the story of the first half is U of M's really controlling the line of scrimmage. It ends up being true the whole game. Um, with running being such a big part. Of the first half, that's where it's really true because it's wet the second half, but it's not coming yeah. down as hard. And really, let me let me take this point right here to point out that Brian Kelly lost this game for Notre Dame, him and his staff, because it did not seem like he was adjusting to the weather. It did not seem like they had watched enough film on Michigan. No. It just, it, it just felt like there wasn't adjustments for Notre Dame. And I actually think Brian Kelly is a pretty good coach. So I'm a little surprised by that. Yeah, the starting quarterback, Ian Book, attempted 25 passes and completed only eight of them for 72 yards. And then um, his backup, who has the the best name in sports, (laughs) Jerkovich, was three or four for 60 yards. So in those three completions, almost had as many. But, well, yeah. Garbage attempting time too. 29 pass attempts in that weather is kind especially of, in the first half. Yeah, when you're not insane. down by too much, like in the second half, I get it. And plus, if you would have kept it close in the first half or closer, 
the second half was perfect to, or not perfect. It was more ideal to start slinging it, you know, and uh, Jerkovic, one of his first plays out, Michigan's getting the pressure on. He trips over himself. Right. <laughs> you could have added the Benny Hill music to it. Uh, McGrone, Daxon Hill, Charbonnet, and Haskins are probably the players of the first half for Michigan, or at least in that group. And the good news for Michigan is they're all freshmen or redshirt freshmen. So it's really nice. You know, McGrone took over for um, – Josh Ross, a linebacker, is yep. exceeded him. Charbonnet is a freshman. I wasn't sure with how many running backs Michigan had has how many how much how many carries he would get this year. Haskins also a younger player. He, Christian Turner is nowhere to be found. No, nope. he's not touching the ball. True Wilson came in during garbage time and actually did very well. But these guys are stepping up. And then Daxon Hill had another good game. We just see his speed. And if you're going to be playing man-to-man, which uh, Don Brown likes, you want some Daxon Hill speed. Later on on what should have been, uh, and, uh, you know, if, if you notice, I've been going chronologically here. I'm not going to break down every play. Right. Uh, but another st- going into the second half, there's a, on what should have been Brad Hawkins, uh, Brad Hawkins interception, there is a BS pass interference call. U of M fans – after this play, uh, because they call the pass interference, U of M fans continue the boo as the Irish drive and score. And then U of M fans, especially the student section, start throwing their towels. Yeah. <laughs> and it yeah. hits. It hits. One, they had better accuracy than uh, Book last night. Because <laughs> one lands on the Irish player's uh, helmet who scored, and another one lands on the camera. And yeah, Brandstetter and what's his face were chastising them on the radio for that. Which, <laughs> if you know me, I don't really enjoy listening to them or the Spartan broadcast. I wish but, uh, uh, both Blaha and Brandstetter could keep up with the game. That would be nice. Uh, uh, and then for those criticizing, there was another group of people throwing flags that deserved more criticism. And they, it was a madhouse at that point. U of M gets the ball and Karma strikes again. First play out, 49-yard run. Shea throws a dart to the end zone. Pass interference on Notre Dame. A couple plays later, there's a second pass interference on Notre Dame. And this has to be a makeup call because it wasn't pass interference. Right. I really feel like that. Uh, so for any Notre Dame fan that wants to complain about this pass interference, it kind of evened itself out. Uh, Shea is hit as he throws on the next play. I can't believe he got it off. It might not have been the next play, but same drive. But it was timed perfectly. Uh, it was close enough to Den- Donovan Peoples-Jones that he does a great low catch. Mm-hmm. Touchdown Michigan, and with that, it's a scoop catch. It's 24-7 Michigan. And Notre Dame's, at this point, probably thinking likely not going to score more than 24 points. Right. Yeah, because their offense has been struggling. It was a big play. Uh, it's a shame that the refs – Got two big plays wrong because 17 nothing Michigan's really rocking and rolling, but it's not out of reach for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. But, you know, two – I mean, I guess it's great that they made up the call, but you'd really just like, you know, it called fair. And this was the same crew that did the 2016 Michigan-Ohio State game. So when it was announced, Michigan fans were not very happy. Oh, right. 
Uh, as the second half goes on, Charbonnet and Haskins are grinding out a hell of a game for themselves. The running game is really setting up the pass. Very physical. Stiff arm. Stiff arm. It was actually a joy to watch. It's like, hey, you know what? If Michigan's going to run the ball like this, I'm okay if they don't sling the ball everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Especially um, in that weather. Like, that makes sense. There's a drive where Shea has two nice passes. U of M goes up 31 to 7. Notre Dame throws in their backup QB. Like I said, he trips over himself. Uh, True Olsen, he comes in to do uh, mop up work. Couple big plays. Michigan goes up 38 to 7. On these plays, Shea Patterson is running down the field with Wilson. He's blocking. It's nice to see. Like I said, this is just a feel good game for Michigan. Michigan did not let up. The players were feeling it. Like, I was shocked at how full the big house was, like, late in the fourth quarter because the weather was awful. Uh, Steven Spinellis, which is a U of M offensive lineman, he blocked a Notre Dame player off the field onto the sideline and nearly into the stands. <laughs> it's a it's a clip that's going viral. It felt like the Wisconsin night game last year, which I watched with you in the living yep. room, uh, maybe even better, probably a bit sweeter. The end score was was it, it was forty five fourteen Michigan. I wrote yeah. down forty five ten. That's not correct. And uh, the last touchdown for Notre Dame was garbage time right um but you know i i watched the whole game a lot of times this year because of life getting in the way i dvr part of the game and go back watching it was really nice watching the whole thing as you can tell i took pretty detailed notes (laughs) (laughs) lately i've not really been taking notes but i know what i'm gonna say and like what i want to emphasize and then mike has like three full pages <laughs> of, of notes on his laptop that he goes through. So it's, it's really funny. it's really nice because sometimes I watch the whole game intently and someone will bring up a play and I can't picture the play all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's they're not saying it very well, you know, describing it, there's descriptions off or, you know, so like I like to kind of break it down and be like, oh, yeah, I remember that play. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, and I, I try to add a little bit, but uh, I, I'm okay deep dive in the game. If I'm going to deep dive a game, this has been the perfect one. <laughs> no, do. that makes sense. There hasn't been a Michigan game that was a feel-good game for all 60 minutes this year because you can't even take pleasure when you beat Rutgers the way Michigan did. Yeah. You know, sense. and that would be the next closest one. You know, Penn State, it was like a miraculous how that game turned around. You kind of felt like a Michigan scored and went into overtime, even though they were on the road, they just had all the momentum in that game. But, you know, that ended as a heartbreaker. And, mm-hmm. you know, if you want to play what ifs, you know, Michigan State, you brought it up with Arizona State. Imagine if Michigan did win last week. They would still control their own destiny to a degree. Yeah, I think they would because if you beat Ohio right. State, you win the tiebreaker. But, yeah, I mean, obviously I was feeling it kind of – Kind of felt like a culmination. I felt like this team's improving. Uh, so down on this team the first couple weeks. Uh, they just had a hell of a game. And, and uh, I, I, re- I feel really optimistic about all the games up to Ohio State. Uh, Shea Patterson had a nice game, but that QB, Didn't. that level of QB play cannot beat Ohio State with the way they've been looking. Well, yeah, to beat Ohio State. The way they've been looking, it's it's gonna take a lot of a a lot of a lot of great things to happen. 
Well, there's only two teams I think that people would really give an even chance to against Ohio State, and that's LSU and Alabama. I don't even think yeah. Clemson or Somebody Oklahoma. asked me if Penn State would win no. at Ohio State. That was a hard no for me. Uh, Clemson, so, like Penn State's nice. Ohio State is a shoe-in, one of the top two teams in the country. I wonder what happened to Wisconsin because I thought that would be a better game before the Illinois game. I, I think it was like – scoreless, like, 20 minutes into the game, Ohio yeah. State and Wisconsin. And then, you know, you kind of knew that it, it wasn't going to be tight for too long. Like, I, I know it was, I didn't expect that, though. Yeah, but I feel like we said that a lot about Ohio State yeah. this year. Yeah. Well, I, I had higher expectations, I think, than some segment of fan bases. I, I picked them to win the Big Ten. Um, yeah. There was a moment over the summer as I'm – you know, looking into the teams, previewing stuff, that I thought Michigan might be better than them, you know, just with all the returning. But then I looked at Ohio State, and I'm looking at these players that don't have a lot of experience. And I'm like, these guys have high ceilings. Justin Fields was a hell of a quarterback coming out of high school. Yep. And it just, you know, when we were speaking in August, talking in August, I was just like, yeah, I just see them being really good. And if Justin Fields wasn't eligible, like it's kind of a joke that he and Shea Patterson were both eligible this year and last year, but that's well, just what I, it a is. A little bit more with Old Miss, though, because that thing turned into a crapshoot. Right, but, I mean, you know that when you commit to a place like Old Miss. Well, he but, was lied to. That's why he got the eligibility. I, I don't think he's that dumb, though. I mean, come on. But I'm just saying, like, if, if Ohio State doesn't – if like, say Tate Martell is a starting quarterback. Ohio State's like a seven and five football team this year. Mm, I don't know if seven, I go that far. They're somewhere between seven and nine. I get your point, Tate Martell. They're not. I Tate Martell can't start at Miami. Miami, sure, but J.K. Dobbins, you know, you could right. And J.K. Dobbins is real nice, but you know, they're not. They're not better than say Wisconsin if they have Tate Martell. Addition by subtraction with Greg Schiano out there as D coordinator. Yeah, and well, then that defense end looks better than Bosa. Well, Bosa only played like three games in but, 2018. But just overall. Overall, yeah. Well, Chase, What's his yeah. name? Chase Young. Yeah, he, he looks amazing. I'm saying Wisconsin like, has a great offense. They're still line. a good team, but they're not they're not a college football playoff team if they have Tate Martell. Tate Martell is not I think they good. could get in the playoffs. They just get smoked by Alabama. And, I don't know. Tate Martell can't throw the ball more than 10 yards. So sure. It's difficult to do. They might not have won the Big Ten, but – I don't know if there's that much worse than I, I, I think it's a pretty big difference. Like okay, well if, if, if it's Tate Martell, like I'm not saying like any quarterback, like specifically Tate Martell versus Justin Fields, it's a huge difference. The Big Ten has some some uh, top ten defenses. They only have one top ten offense, and that's Ohio State. Right, but Tate Martell in there, they're not a top ten offense, but right? I feel like they're the same as the other Big Ten. Uh, <laughs> if if they have Tate Martell, like Penn State has a much better offense. They have a much better chance. I just don't. I just think they have so much better players elsewhere that it doesn't matter as much as you think. Right. And again, that's how Tate Martell can run the ball. Yeah, but everybody knows that's his. I think they're so good. Like it's kind of like Denard so- Robinson in the in the NFL. Like whenever he took a snap at quarterback, like everybody knew he wasn't going to be throwing it. But, I mean, the Jags aren't the Buckeyes. And, no, that's true. And Denard still had some success the first few years. And I just think uh, even one-dimensional Ohio State on offense can hang with the other guys. Mm, yeah, maybe. But I think it does take their wide receivers. What, what close game have they had? 
they haven't had any. But <laughs> I again, think that's, that's why I'm them so with confident. JK. I mean, with um, but they've had Fields. Sure. Like, but it might. It sounds like the like Michigan State basketball has a lot of great players this year. If you replace Cassius Winston with, um, I don't know, Jaron Simmons, you think that's a, a top ten team? Maybe. I think they get it hang with who? Who? Like they're still a good team. Ohio State and maybe Maryland, Maryland probably. Yeah. I mean, look at how many wins they get after that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying, but they aren't anywhere near a top two team like they are with Cassius Winston. Penn State and Wisconsin had doubters of their quarterbacks coming in. Yeah. And I think the players around uh, them at those programs really helped ease them in. And you can mask a lot. I think so. Yeah. But both of those quarterbacks are a lot better than Tate Martell. I'm not so sure if you put uh, Tate Martell in Ohio State system. Uh, I don't know. I guess we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. Michigan beat Notre Dame. I predicted that on Thursday. I said Harbaugh can coach. He got to a Super Bowl. I'm tired of hearing how he can't coach. Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Yes, they can't beat Ohio State. Who's beating Ohio State except Clemson? Who's beating Ohio State? Michigan football, even with Bo Schembechler and Lloyd Carr, won nine to nine and a half games. That's what Michigan is. They lose to your Ohio State. They'll lose another game, and they finish nine wins. And right now, guess what? Michigan, after this, has six wins. They also play Maryland, Michigan State, and Indiana. And they're going to win those three games and then lose to Ohio State, and they'll finish with nine wins. And if they win a bowl game, which I think Michigan should every other year, they'll finish with ten. Harbaugh took over a program with six wins a year. He's got them up to nine, and they're going to win nine this year. Now, I don't think they've been as good at quarterback as they should be. He deserves heat for really, really not delivering at quarterback. But can we stop it? Who is Paul Bunyan? American folklore tells the story of Paul Bunyan, a lumberjack of enormous size and strength, who, along with his blue ox babe, carved the American countryside, creating many of its landscapes and natural wonders. The major logging state of Michigan has its own battle of men of enormous size and strength as the Michigan Wolverines and Michigan State Spartans square off in an annual showdown on the college football gridiron. They play for the Paul Bunyan Trophy, a fitting prize for this historic Big Ten showdown. This is Sparta! Wolverines! Friday night kind of marked the official start of Michigan State basketball with the annual tradition of what used to be known as Midnight Madness because it took place when you could officially start practicing basketball again. So they would start right at midnight and everybody would come out to see it. But now there are rules where they can start practicing as early as September. So the title has been changed to MSU Madness and it's an opportunity to come out to the Breslin Center and just kind of like have a good time. Like they don't charge for tickets or parking or anything like that. So yeah, Friday night was my first time getting to go. Uh, wanted to try to meet some of the players, but wasn't able to because let me tell you the line to get Cassius Winston's autograph was you, you thought the Beatles were going to be at that table at the end. And then Are you was, telling me it was even longer than the line for brunch this morning for me? <laughs> I, would, I would guarantee it. You went with our mutual friend Theron, right? Yep. And basically what they do is 
They have a little meet and greet. That they really should give more time for it, especially when they have a player like Cassius Winston or in years past like a Denzel Valentine and Draymond Green coming into their senior years. Um, but yeah, for a free event and you know a, a glorified practice, the Breslin Center was packed. Like, it was hard to find parking. It was hard to get in because the lines were very, very long. And but yeah, basically what they do is they do that and they have – unique player introductions for the men's and women's basketball team. And Susie Merchant, the women's coach, has kind of started to this, but it's really Tom Izzo's tradition of dressing up as something and for his first appearance at it. And in years past, he's been Iron Mountain Man, which is like a take on Iron Man, but he's from, he was born in Iron Mountain, Michigan, up in the Ute. And then uh, he's been like uh, the guy from 300 uh, King Leonidas, I want to say. Yeah, he, he, <laughs> this is Sparta. Yeah, that was the year 300 came out. So it's always something kind of relevant. Like when the Final Four was in Indy, he came out onto the court in an Indy 500 uh, car. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Friday night, I guess, with the theme of the Avengers, uh, came out dressed as the Incredible Hulk. I think he was on stilts because he was actually taller than Marcus Bingham for once. <laughs> it's funny. You're like, um, uh, we will have a basketball episode coming out soon, but Marcus Bingham plays for Michigan State. When he came to Michigan State as a freshman, he was 6'11", 190 pounds. So he's basically gone. How is that even possible? It's, he's basically like <laughs> – but Izzo said, I'll give you one more year, and I want you to come back next summer looking like this. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun, and um, it was one highlight from the women's scrimmage going around Twitter where – uh, the women's player catches the ball right before the buzzer sounds and casually tosses it the full length of the f- full length of the court and makes it right at the buzzer, uh, which is great. And then a lot of people got to see players like Rocket Watts for the first time at Michigan State, Joey Hauser, uh, Malik Hall, Julius Marble, and also see how players like Aaron Henry, Gabe Brown have progressed, see how Cassius Winston's legs look, and. Yeah, it was just a fun event. Got to see the uh, unveiling of the Final Four banner and as it went into the the rafter to join its uh, brothers, I guess. They're all, they're all like Izzo's kids. You know, that's, the Final Fours are all his kids. And all, <laughs> like the 2001 is his favorite, but he's got all those other ones as well. Oh, man. You can't have favorites. The other one, kids get mad. <laughs> I went to some. You don't like it. You should have won a national championship. <laughs> Wasn't the t- – 2000 team that won that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought favorite. you said 2001 for some reason. Was the 2001 team. Oh, you, no. I did. Yeah. Oh, okay. The 2001. That makes a bit more favorite, sense yeah. then. There's a little bit the more. The one from di- 2000. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit more of a differentiate. Like, I can see why that's his favorite. Although they did make the final four in 2001. Yeah, so that's why. Sense. Yeah. Uh, I went to something similar a few years ago. I won't spend too much time on it, but it was what the Forge for Greatness uh, Michigan year in 2016. Unveiled their Jordan brand stuff, so it was a big deal. Jalen Rose emceed it. You had DJ Khaled, and I, I think. Oh, you mean DJ Khaled? There you go. <laughs> a lot of people mispronounce it. Yeah, and that was fun. That was the Derek Walton, Zach Urban senior year team, and uh, I went with our mutual friend Frommy. So it's kind of cool that uh, both of us went. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't go to something like that by myself. But yeah, yeah. It's something it's something I've always known about since I was a kid. Like I've grown up on Michigan State basketball, always wanted to go to 
Midnight Madness, and this was just the first year. Was this series. your first year ever? This going? was my first time ever wow. going, so I had to go. And <laughs> it went later than I thought. I didn't actually stick around for the scrimmages because that would have actually took me after midnight, which would have been madness because then <laughs> I'd be getting home at 1.30. And then you're going back to East Lansing Going back w- with a different group of people, and we, we wanted to get there early to uh, – get properly soused for the game so <laughs> did you get sauced the night before with some chick-fil-a no i didn't have time to get Chick-fil-A i know that's yours that and there in such yep. tradition um when we go back in a couple months for a game we'll, we always stop and that basketball episode should drop this week if everything Hopefully, goes yeah. familiar, uh, goes as planned we recorded it recently and we want to drop it close to the season uh, before we switch to college football any other thoughts um, on midnight or on uh, Michigan State Madness, I believe uh, we're a little over ten days. Uh, we're about nine days away now from the first Michigan game against Appalachian State. Just make sure you watch out for upsets, and then uh, <laughs> Michigan State opening uh, with Kentucky at Madison Square Garden the same night. So you said ten days away. What? What's the oh, so that's a week from this Tuesday. So that'll be November fifth. Yeah, that's cool. It always starts right around my birthday. My birthday is this uh, this Friday. Yeah. So that'll be fun. So in the Big Ten, some of the big stories were we earlier this year we called Illinois Rutgers West. They they're up to four and four now. Not a great team. They're almost the Indiana of the West. Almost any Indiana six and two. <laughs> they struggle to be bowl eligible. Not they this usually year. do. Yeah. Uh, and then of course. Uh, Ohio State laid a whooping on Wisconsin. I kind of thought that was going to happen, um, but we were talking off air. Like a lot of people expected Ohio State to win, but not like that. But that's not the first time we've said that about Ohio State this right. year. Wisconsin traditionally recovers very well from losses, and yeah, and I kind of had the up down theory. I kind of thought they were looking ahead to Ohio State, and they would play better than they did against Illinois. Um, I still predicted a loss just because it was in Columbus. I may have felt differently if it was in Madison, but Ohio State left no doubt. They've been tending to do that this year, and they're setting up for I, – I don't know who, who they haven't played. I think they still need to play Maryland at home and Rutgers on the road, but they're setting up their last two games at home against Penn State and then on the road at Michigan. That's, that's a one-two punch. Two games. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We talked about them a lot in the last segment, so we don't have to spend too much time on them. What's your Michigan State's playing uh, Illinois? What's your concern level there? Um, Illinois, that might be a low-scoring game. They're not by any means a world beater, but I think no. they have the same record. Uh, what's Illinois' record? It's four and four. Four and four. That is right. Not two and seven. <laughs> so, so there's that. I, um, I would give D'Antonio a lot of credit if in the preview of that game, the press conference leading up, he's like, well, Illinois is not two and seven. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, Mark D'Antonio, like, not to get sidetracked, he's been kind of weird with his press conferences this year, like blame, just straight up blaming the refs for the Arizona State loss, which he's never done that before, just going to a press conference and lay it all on the referees and then – kind of lashing out at reporters, which he hasn't done in the past. He's been he's been weird. He, I, he has to know, like, something's changing. But, um, yeah, Michigan State has a bye week, and then Illinois is coming to town. 
They'll um, probably be five and four because they have a home game against Rutgers. But they've had a weird season. Remember, they were the team, 30 in a row, Eastern beat a Big Ten team. Right. Uh, they beat Akron and Connecticut, two not very good programs. They lost a close one to Nebraska at home. They got blown out by Minnesota. They had that comeback against Michigan before losing, you know, by 17. They beat Wisconsin. They beat Purdue. So weird, weird. They're by no means a world beater, but they might end up going bowling this year. Yeah, they still got Rutgers and Northwestern on the schedule. Yeah. And I'm not I'm not guaranteeing anything for November 9th in East Lansing. So keep you updated <laughs> on that in a, a future episode. But no, um, yeah, Illinois. Maybe maybe the team started caring. Maybe Lovey Smith started wearing his fancy pair of sweatpants to the games now. <laughs> How about he this is his fourth year there? Yeah, sixteen was his first season. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean they've recruited better than they ever have. Or I mean that than they have in a long time. Right. And I mean you know which team Lovey Smith took to the Super Bowl, right? The Bears. The Bears, right. <laughs> so you know he's he's got some name recognition in Illinois even with younger kids. Yeah, yeah. I can understand why they went for them. Um, Champagne's a tough place to recruit. Like yeah. that and West Lafayette are usually like listed as the worst college towns in the Big Ten. It makes sense. Um, Oklahoma um, lost to Kansas State. Kansas State, um, and it wasn't particularly close either. I believe it was forty-one to twenty-three at one point. Yeah, but then Oklahoma had more yards for the game. They it felt like they were going to win that game at the end. Yeah. Or they had a good chance. They kind of turned it on. They had 23 points early, and as you can imagine, three field goals. So it kind of felt like they were leaving points on the board when they were in the red zone. Yeah. So I will give them credit for coming back. Early on, though, Kansas State was definitely the better team. Uh, but kudos to Kansas State for holding on. Yeah, kudos to Baylor for now being the number one team in the Big 12. <laughs> we all saw that coming. Right. Uh, Michigan has Maryland. Michigan is traveling to Maryland. Yeah, rather um, talk about a team that fell apart. Yeah, they're going to the shell as um, old what's his face likes to call it. Maryland's head coach. Uh, it'll be the the battle of the Bama coordinator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about that. I thought uh, I, I believe Maryland's gone back and forth. Mike Loxley, that's his name. Sorry. <laughs> I believe they're going back and forth between two quarterbacks, and one of them is Jackson from Celine. Yep. He's, he's been battling some injuries. I he believe. has not had a very good year. It's been, like, really bad. There was, uh, and some, then uh, Pigram, I believe, is the other one. I really like his name as well. And uh, long-time uh, uh, running backs coach Fred Jackson is uh, Jack, is uh, – uh, the quarterback's uh, dad. Oh, okay. And a lot of people, you know, especially with the Celine connection, really want him to come to Michigan. And um, he hasn't had the best year. It'll be interesting to see if he plays. We missed Peters when we when Michigan played Illinois. But, I mean, Maryland has a chance for an upset to kind of redeem their season and get back on track there. They're at home, so it'll, they'll, I, they'll probably throw all they got at, at Michigan, but I don't. I don't see it happening right now. I think Michigan's playing very well, and Maryland is falling apart. To be yeah, honest. I was gonna say they've been hard to get put your finger on, but that's really not true. They've been pretty, pretty easy to get a, get a finger on. They've been falling apart. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
they start off the season strong. They kind of where a lot of people is like, oh, look at uh, look at Maryland there. You know, they beat up on Howard and they beat up on Syracuse, who we now know isn't very good. And then obviously they lost to Temple, got blown out 59-0 to Penn State. They did beat up Rutgers, but everyone does. They got beat up by Purdue. Wow. Which is weird this year for Purdue. Yeah, Purdue has not had a very good year. They lost to Indiana. They got beat up by Minnesota they're, yesterday. They're one of Purdue's two wins. <laughs> Purdue so. has been battling injuries, and Maryland yeah. lost to them. It's kind of like last year uh, when Maryland beat Texas first week, maybe definitely in September. Yeah, each of each of the previous two seasons they beat Texas. Yeah, and Texas was pretty good last year, uh, and uh, then they fell apart. But last year they had really had a lot of injuries. I know. Their quarterbacks have been playing with some injuries this year, but I don't know if they have as much of a <laughs> yeah. if that's as much of a crutch this year as it was in at least a legitimate one as it was in years past. So I believe that's everything we want to get to on this episode of the Paul Bunyan podcast. I guess you could throw out a prediction how you think Michigan State's gonna do in their final four games. Final four games. Uh, I think they go three and one and uh, probably don't win a bowl game. So I think it's seven and six. Okay. Who's the one lost to? I would right now say Michigan, just looking at who else is on the schedule. Okay. I also have Michigan going three and one. And I think Ohio State's the one that gets them. Yeah, I I, I figured. (laughs) (laughs) I think Indiana's dangerous, though. Like, we talked about... Yeah, and they're going to play at Indiana the week before the Ohio State game, which I don't particularly believe in trap games, but I believe Michigan's schedule, it does go Michigan State at Indiana, Ohio State. I suppose you could say trap game, but I just look at it this way. When Indiana's struggling to be bowl eligible, they've been known to give Michigan fits. This year they're already six and two, even with some of a soft schedule. They're and, still- and they've been missing their quarterback for some of those games. And I, I do think Michael Penix makes a big difference versus Peyton Ramsey. Michigan and Indiana have the same record, kind of like Illinois, and Michigan State do. Right, and you kind of like Minnesota and Ohio State do. <laughs> and you could say Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State all have the harder schedule. Yep, but it does matter a little bit, and it's on the road. And, uh, and I think that'll be Indiana's senior night. No. So whatever. I don't know who's a senior on that team. But <laughs> <laughs> but I think that wraps it up. Um, I think so. You can find us on Twitter at uh, the Paul, uh, Paul Bunyan Pod. At Paul Bunyan Pod. Uh, if you want to email us any questions or comments, concerns, if it's good, we will probably read it on air at uh, the Paul Bunyan Podcast at gmail.com. If you want any more of my scalding hot takes, you can find me on uh, the Beards for Radio podcast, also on Anchor and a bunch of other platforms. But this is mainly where I talk about Michigan, Michigan State. I hope uh, I hope I'm not putting you on the spot, but I want to give a shout out to Farbar. Yeah, we'll give a shout out to Farbar. Uh, if you guys want to check out any new shirts, hoodies, vests, I know he's got like bags and pants. You can go to far-ebar.com. He's a big supporter of the show. He is, and uh, he makes all of the clothes and everything. He designs and cuts and dyes and prints himself. He's he's like a one-man army. 
Facebook, uh, you can find us backslash the Paul Bunyan podcast. We update that pretty regularly too. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Zach Sawyer or my more mundane takes. You can find me <laughs> at Mike from Ann Arbor. <laughs> Mike uh, from A2. If you need to find me on Twitter for some reason, I am at Joe is Captain. Thank you for listening. Thank you.